0: Hello and welcome to the Clockwork Around You podcast, the podcast all about the Dutch national team. Uh, The Dutch national team that have qualified for the World Cup, they didn't make it easy but we're back in the big time after, well, after seven years away, eight by the time the match comes around and it feels oh so good. Uh, I'm your host, Fritney Cabolder, joining me as always is Peter McNulty. Peter, how's it going?
1: Pretty good, pretty uh, optimistic now, Uh, thankfully that they've made it, Um, but yeah. Still got some complaints, which I'm sure we'll get into.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's um, there's a lot of joy about being back in the World Cup, but a lot of frustration with, with how we got there in the end, I suppose. Um, before we take a look at that and celebrate the, the glorious triumph, um, by the way, I am in a slap recording with a rather energetic cat, so if anyone hears any bells ringing me, meows, then that's not me, it's the cat.
1: I thought you were just in the Christmas spirit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit early yet, not quite December. Um, yeah, before we get into like the Montenegro and Norway games, I just thought you know the last episode we recorded was before um, Louis Van Gaal's matcher, first matches back as the as the national team manager. So I thought we'd just kind of take a look at you know what we thought of his start to life in his third spell as a whole. Um, what did you make of it before the Montenegro and Norway games?
1: Yeah, I was uh, pretty optimistic. I was pretty uh, impressed, really, with uh, the. It, the first game is uh, is game against Norway. Uh, I was yeah worried about that. I thought like a lot kind of hinged on that game because we'd seen them being dismantled by Turkey uh, early on in the in the campaign, uh, and I thought maybe that could be a bit of a problem uh, coming with the Turkey game coming up. So the Norway one was one that I was just desperate for them to to get off to a good start and. Obviously, Varhal knows the, the trouble of uh, slipping up in your first game and how that can ruin your chances of qualifying. So, once we got over those first couple of games, I mean, I thought they were fine in the first game against Norway. Obviously, Montenegro was fine. But, yeah, just demolishing Turkey the way they did uh, as a kind of revenge for the <laughs> for the, the uh, previous uh, encounter was like a, a big lift in the air. You could see that they were making progress, looking... Competent, looking better, and and actually had some some potential. Uh, so yeah, I was more optimistic uh, heading uh, heading into the these two games against Montenegro and Norway than I am now, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, because yeah, I had there were a few, quite a lot of problems um, in those two games that sort of popped up and made me worry. But I mean, it's not like I think that they they've they're looking like a shambles again or anything. It was just um yeah some rough performances that yeah, I think they can they can go over and and actually build a a decent uh, team and, and structure going into the the World Cup next year. What about yourself?
0: Yeah, I thought you know, obviously the as you mentioned, the first Norway game wasn't great. One oh 0 class and equalizer. Could have lost as well. Holland hit the post later on, obviously. Um but uh, you know, that was his first game. He would ha- ha- only had a few days with the players, really. So I kind of let him off that one. And since then, yeah. you know, it's been really good, I think. Um, obviously, that Turkey game, um, 6-1 in the end, 5-1 or 6-1. Was Six. 6-1, yeah. Um, was amazing. You know, that was great. Played great football. And, yeah, I mean, the, the rest of the games, we've looked good. You know, kind of did what we needed to do. Um, and it's funny. I'm sure I'll enter a rant soon about how kind of, Arrogant, overly arrogant, the players seemed against Montenegro. Um, but to be honest, I was pretty much the same, you know, because of how the previous games had gone pretty well. I was, you know, I, I headed into these last two games really confident that we'd wrap up qualification without any kind of drama or fuss. And yeah, well, that wasn't the case, obviously. Let's get into that. I mean, <laughs> not enough for that Montenegro game. Obviously, no way a drone earlier that day. We got 2-0 up. We don't really have to talk too much about what happened up to that point because it was a pretty standard match. Didn't play amazingly, but got two goals. But um, what the hell happened after that?
1: <laughs> I mean, there was, there was a lot of uh, problems that I had throughout the game. I mean, take, for example, the second goal. I mean, that was the last sort of move, the, the ball in from Dumfries um was wait was that second um yeah that the yeah yeah uh yeah like that was really smart but the build up to that kind of summed up the the way the Netherlands were they were still kind of sloppy still weird in their passing and from the first half I had concerns about the way they were uh transitioning from defense defense to attack like when they were uh from the from the back basically uh, I thought the distribution from the from the defence was kind of worrying. It was like, it wasn't just them, it was the, the way the players were positioned. They kept on just losing the ball and, and making sloppy passes or not really in the right way to actually uh, make a decent attack. And yeah, I always had that fear of Montenegro can actually just win the ball in the right area, push forward and get a goal. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the way they, they just sort of collapsed and I think arrogance is, it's not usually the type of word that I like to use when I'm talking about uh, sloppiness in players, but I, yeah, you could see it. There was like a kind of a switch off and by the time the Montenegro scored their second, the Netherlands was just sort of stunned uh, and couldn't really respond again. And yeah, it was a kind of, the, their performance all the way through that made me a wee bit worried, but Part of that, I think, could have been just that they were expecting to walk it as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny that you say you were going into it, expecting it to be uh, them just to get through pretty easy. I mean, this is the Netherlands, man. They don't <laughs> they don't do things without some drama. They've got to they've got to make you worry. They've got to take a few years off of your life with uh, with tension. So, um, yeah. to be, I mean, it was it was annoying. Uh, annoyed me for a few days, but I actually I, there was something kind of funny about it. I mean, I really did think this is kind of typical, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, and it was it made me really worried heading into the Norway game. But um, yeah, it was there were there were problems in the way that they had set up, and Varejao was kind of snarky a wee bit in his uh, interview after the Montenegro game. He was like. At, thinking kind of making comments about him taking the blame or is it all his fault and stuff and yeah it wasn't really it's not like I think Vargas is the guy to blame for it but this team the way they were playing in both of these games were really not as smooth as you would expect not as well structured as you would expect of players like this and a team like this and a coach like him but also, yeah, just the sloppiness of the the passing and the kind of recklessness in possession surprised me a bit.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, especially as it was it was just so much worse than how we played in the previous matches. Um, yeah, I get it was against two teams that sat back, which obviously puts more kind of pressure on how you know you, you operate on the ball yourself as a team um resilience like Turkey, they didn't really sit back and it left it very open for us. But even so, um, yeah, it was I don't know, we'll get into the issues later with just those two centre midfielders, I think, really. Um and not just the individual players, I think the roles that they're being given as so, well. Um but yeah, I mean heading into the Norway game obviously we needed I mean it's funny, I look back now and I think like how ridiculous it was of how absolutely terrified and Non-confident I was because we needed a draw against Norway without Erling Holland. You know, it's no offense to them, but it's a side that we should be able to get a draw against any day of the week, you know. Um, and yeah, yeah, I just headed into it with absolutely zero confidence. I mean, I, I guess it was trauma from 2016 and 2018 where, you know, it wasn't great teams that stopped us from qualifying. It was the Czech Republic in twenty sixteen and, you know, a loss to Bulgaria in twenty eighteen in the end. Um yeah. I guess I just had flashbacks to that again. Um the image of Danny Blind being on the touchline with like Half <laughs> in the stand again terrified me. Um I mean, yeah, I, I headed into it, I was so nervous. I mean, I, I, did you feel
1: pretty calm and,
0: and convinced that we'd make it?
1: Absolutely not. I was the same as you. I was on edge. I was not feeling it. I was really like, yeah, like thought they were going to just, yeah, Netherlands are up basically as they had in the previous campaign. So yeah, I had that same. And like I say, the Montenegro game really did like annoy me uh, just in the performance itself. But it really poisoned my anticipation of, of this Norway game because, uh yeah, I wasn't. I mean, maybe I wasn't actually thinking rationally. I just went straight to that worst possible uh, scenario thing and just been believing it would happen. And I mean, to be fair, I mean, we did have good reason from the the early stages of the game to to really have those feels. I mean, you could, as you say, they weren't going to just go for them. They weren't going to attack. They didn't have the best striker. Although uh, my Groningen friend will uh, insist that Alexander Soldat is an absolute beast, but um it wasn't going to be the the, the big threat that that, you, that they could have had and so Netherlands just had to pry them open and you couldn't really see how it was going to happen for a while and um, i mean they did they looked okay in the first half uh, they did make some some chances um but there was just a, again that frustration about them that, that had me thinking right well if they can't get through this mob and they just have one good attack, one good move uh and maybe you get like the same sloppiness at the back that they had against montenegro, then we could be we could be in real trouble here, and yeah, you just needed a you just needed a goal to settle your nerves basically, and yeah they really they really made us way for it. as i say they were yeah. taking a couple of years off my life mate. I was not a feeling it I was not feeling well that day. Yeah. And I was just, I was like, "Come on, please, just give me some relief here." Um, but at least we had, um, it wasn't all doom. I mean, it was nice to enjoy Stephen Berfine again, for example, and uh, and give us some. He was the the wee light that that gave us some uh, some reason to believe. So, um, no, I was definitely we were we were on the same wavelength, man. On <laughs> well, other parts of the world, but we were we were right there. Yeah. <laughs> I tweeted with about, I
0: think it must have been, it was just before the goal, actually. So it would have been about 70, 75 minutes. And at that point, I was in my head because we hadn't scored. Norway was were controlling the ball a bit more. Um, and I was just thinking, my God, it is going to hurt so much when we miss out on this again. <laughs> and I, I tweeted, on the club around your couch. Is anyone else feeling a bit sick? Um, I, think I got like 12 replies of people just like, yep, yep. <laughs> like, we're not going to make it, are we? like the trauma of the last you know uh however six six years or so just very evident there um ah yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, I mean it's weird we we never looked like conceded, really, Norway didn't create anything, but it, you know it's just always in the back of your mind. it takes one mistake, and that's that yeah. you know one red card, one set piece, you know, I think they got a corner when it was nil-nil in about the seventy fifth minute. And I was like, this is going
1: to be it, isn't it? Um, yeah, and like you say, I mean, your mind goes back to, for example, Bulgaria when you had that, um, Yeah. was that when it was last first game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just, yeah, you imagine just that horror um, mistake that's just going to unravel the whole team. And that was the thing about the, that was what Montenegro game really exposed, is that it was a team that actually could uh, fall apart pretty yeah, pretty unexpectedly and pretty instantaneously. If the if the ball just goes in the in the right way for for the opposition, so yeah, it was uh, it was n- not fun for a while until it became a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Bergwine got the big goal. I think it was eighty third, eighty fourth minute or something. Um, and it was a great goal as well. It was really good work from Blind on the left. Played a good one too with Memphis into the middle for Dan Dandrea, who then. Laid it off to Bergvine and that finish was just just awesome. Like, it just yeah. spins it right into the top corner. Yeah, really, really great goal. And I mean, yeah, we'll get into it in a bit, but he was definitely, definitely the man of the match. Um, and then he created the second one, obviously, on that counter from the corner. Yeah. Where he, um, yeah, ran half, half the length of the pitch, squared it to Memphis, we made it two 0 Um, and yeah, that was that. And before we get into kind of the specifics of the match and. Tactical stuff and whatnot. I mean, at that full-time whistle—it just—it just felt so good to have the Netherlands back in the World Cup again,
1: didn't it? Yeah, for sure. And that was the—that was when it, the to me the real shame of there being no supporters in the stadium like yeah. really came forward. I mean, a lot of people find it hard to to watch games when there's no uh, atmosphere, there's no crowd. But for me, I usually just tune it out, and uh, it, it really hit me. I was like, ah, oh, it's such a a shame that they aren't. No one's there to really just applaud these guys for uh, for the way they bounced back over the course of over the course of this campaign, because it has been, as we say, a pretty solid uh, effort all the way through, despite the loss to Turkey and yeah, the Montenegro caused problems. But overall, I mean the. It was nice to, again nice to have some excitement and optimism about Netherlands again and um it was yeah it was it was brutal, but yeah, it was such a relief i mean I was all that uh fear and uh and horror had just washed away from me, and I was just like sort of floating for a while I was like oh, <laughs> yeah thanks it was just such a it was a relief, but it was also yeah really exciting again, uh yeah. for a while until yeah we Wake up the next day and realise where the where the tournament's going to be played. But uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was yeah just such a big lift because uh, yeah you go back to the failed uh, attempts, you go back to the disappointment of the Euro twenty twenty, and it's like yeah well who cares they they deserve to be there they're all the way through don't have to worry about uh, slipping up in playoffs or anything and and it. Because it was such an exciting end to the game as well. I mean, it was comfortable. It wasn't like we were fearing that they were going to slip up by that point. So it was just, it was nice to be buoyed a bit. Yeah, yeah.
0: Honestly, at the end, I I felt like Andy Dufresne at the end of Shawshank
1: Redemption.
0: (laughs) After after metaphorical years of, you know, being beaten up in prison and then crawling through miles of sewers (laughs) filled with crap. You know, you get out and you get out into that rain and you fall onto your knees and, you know, after all those years of horror, the, you know, two, two major tournaments missed, one major tournament with uh, us led by Frank DeBoer. <laughs> and then at the end of it, we we'll finally make it to a World Cup again. It was, it was such a, yeah, I felt as like I said, just such a weight off my shoulders, you know, felt mm-hmm. lighter and happier. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, at the end of it, it's, it felt good to qualify for the Euros, definitely. Um, but I don't know. It's the World Cup, you know. It's, it's just bigger. Um, and it's the thing that Holland haven't won, obviously. And that's kind of the, the goal. Um, you know, I think if you asked any Holland fan, they'd take winning one World Cup and then missing out on three European championships or something, you know. It's, it's what, it's what the whole country wants. And yeah, it did just, oh, it felt so good. It was such a relief.
1: Yeah. If, uh, I mean, if, that made, if that made you feel like uh, Andy friend, then that must be Scotland, must be uh Red, Morgan Freeman's character. We're gonna join join you on a beach in the, of, uh, of Qatar after the yeah. playoffs.
0: Yeah, after
1: taking a long way.
0: Yeah, after years being institutionalised by non qualification. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean it's Specifically looking at the performances, you know, not getting too carried away about the fact that we qualified. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there, there's definitely issues with the team, isn't there? Um, that, that, well, I mean, you know, he's got a year, over a year to solve them now, which is well, not over a year to solve them now, which is good. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of problems, the main one I think has got to be well, the midfield as. Has been the case for so long. I mean, we've spoken about this before. About you know, multiple managers have had issues with it. Um, just haven't found the right kind of balance in the midfield three. And yeah, that's it's definitely the main problem with this team as well. I think, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, in this game. In fact, with both games. It kind of I get. Yeah, we keep referring back to it, but it did kind of bring me back to like the Hussein and Danny Blind sort of days where the midfield was just being completely ignored and they were never really involved in uh, the attack or the, the defending side of it at all, and that was the case this time. They just weren't really... They were just kind of ignored, and what you got is just this kind of stale playing style, this kind of predictable way that Netherlands were, which is yeah fine on one sense, because they have control Um, it makes a chance of... So you're limiting the, the opposition's chance, but... um. Yeah, it just it, yeah. We were worried that they weren't going to be able to find a way through that Norway team that was just wasn't offering anything, mm. and that was yeah. The midfield just couldn't really offer any support, couldn't really get involved, and yeah, it was a bit frustrating because it's not been the case all the way through. It's not been the case for the entire time under under Van Gaal. I mean, the the midfield in previous games had actually looked okay. Like David Klassen even had a couple of good performances, and he was somebody yeah. that. I've always found kind of difficult to figure out a way for him to really become key in a national team, but it really <laughs> looks like they were on the verge of finding that. Um, and yeah, in these games, he, he, he's not there really. And yeah, it's not really just his fault, as I say. It was the case for everybody. It was the case with Fijnaldum as well. Um, and then, yeah, there was the problems against Montenegro with the changes that they made that kind of... Uh, Ruined everything a bit as well uh, with, the, with the changes that they made in midfield. And it was, yeah, you can see it as one of those still a big puzzle and a big problem. But I think with Van Gaal, we have the knowledge that he is actually a wee bit more flexible uh, than previous managers. I mean, I know De Boer made the sudden switch to the the back three heading into the Euros, but uh, with Van Gaal, I mean, the reason I was actually kind of fine with him taking over was because if he would revert back to a four-three-three like he has, but if he does want to switch back to to a back three, um, which actually might have helped in these games, then at least he's someone who knows and has coached the, that system before and knows like the finer details that, that the players need to need to accept and and yeah know their jobs and I think that's. Maybe why I think he can he is the guy that can that can find a way around us because yeah as we say, as you say it's not an easy job despite the the incredible talent that they have in midfield uh, not just immediately but in the future as well um, with Gravenberg developing still, to and Colt minor still to to get involved in the national team properly uh, he's probably I think going to develop quite a good bit uh, now that he's playing in Italy um, then yeah there's there's a way. It's not like, it's like the midfield is just doomed and, and hopeless, and there's nothing they can do. There is really a way to to get them involved. But in this, these games, it was kind of worrying how they just they they were not there. And that you again go back to like the heading in blind days. You come up against a team like Italy or France or Spain and you don't have any fight in the midfield at all, they're just going to roll right through you again. And that's the that's the fear, I think, uh, that, that I have. So, um, but yeah, as you say, he's got a year to figure it out. Hopefully he can. Uh, definitely they need to be better and, and more involved than they were in, the, in these games and actually bring some way of mixing up their playing style instead of just being incredibly um, pre- yeah, predictable, is how I would
0: describe it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the, in the match against Norway, uh, I didn't check the full-time stats. I checked the half-time stats, but I'm pretty sure it was the same case at full-time as well. But at half-time, Jasper Seelasson had had more touches than Davy Klassen and Jeannie Vinaldum. Um, I mean, the goalkeeper having more touches in the centre midfield is never, never, a, it's never a good sign. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is just such it's such an issue that in the midfield, Frankie Dion's the only one that's kind of, you know, Getting on the ball, trying to do mm. stuff with it. Um, yeah, I think last and Van have are two both two players who are probably better off the ball than on it. You know, they've got good movement. um, You know, pretty intelligent players. Uh, you know, quite good at pressing and stuff. But on the ball, they just you know really don't create much and aren't great with it. And that main main issue, I think. I mean, I don't think it's entirely their fault. I think if both of them are having the exact same problem, then you've got to think what is Van Howe kind of telling them to do? Yeah. Um, Is he not telling one of them to kind of, you know, go back and receive the ball or anything? Um, I don't think they're entirely to blame, but I don't think they're the right options going forward either. Um, Yeah. But it's not obvious who is, is it, you know? I mean, obviously, Coop Miners and Gravenberg are the two big talents, and, um, you know, I feel a bit bad for... for, I I was After the most Negro game, I was really annoyed with both of them because... They came on and both were very good and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they were a big part of why I could two goals because he kind of lost control of the midfield. But, you know, they're both young players and the whole team was to blame for that, not just those two when they came on. So, yeah, I think they're definitely still two contenders for those spots. Um, especially Coop Miners, you know, he's in Italy now and he's doing well there and will surely become a better player. Um, Gravenberg, I can he's, Gone a bit downhill I think for Ajax
1: this year. Um Yeah. He
0: hasn't been great, but I don't know, you can still turn that around
1: obviously. Yeah, uh, I think so. I mean he had the uh, last season he had like a, a spell of games where he just he looked really bad and it was it was kinda worrying but he, he bounced back. This time, yeah, I mean he's playing in a, a, a really excellent team. Um but yeah, he just hasn't had that same sort of fantastic uh way about him that he had last season. But that's <laughs> I mean, I, I still am pretty confident about them developing further, but yeah, you're right, It's uh, it's been a bit of a strange time for them. Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think they're the two, aren't they, really, that you could see maybe getting into this team before the World Cup. Um, yeah. I think the back four is pretty set now, to be honest. I think there's question mark over De Vrij-Dilic. Um Oh, it could be both, obviously, if we switch to the, um, the back three which. It's definitely possible Van how said that he kind of wants to do um mm. but yeah the midfield I don't know it's a big question marks. but it feels like if we want to go far we do have to kind of find alternatives to Van class and Klassen, I think yeah um but yeah I don't know like I say he's got over a year to do it um on a, on a brighter note you know there were some really good performances as well um the main one being Bergwijn against Norway um and yeah, I think we've got to talk about him because it was he's just so good. I mean, obviously Malin started against um Montenegro with with Berghaus out and wasn't great, was kind of invisible. Um yeah. Bergman got the nod against Norway, and he he's our best player comfortably, I think, wasn't he? He created so much kind of attacked the defence directly as well. Um and got a goal and assist in the end. I mean, it's nice to see him back, isn't it? Obviously he started under Kuman a lot. And then kind of went a bit missing with injury and you know not playing much at Spurs. Um, so yeah, it was really good to see him, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was nice to be able to enjoy him. I mean, he he had that again was out for a while with injury this season and hasn't really been able to get back going at Spurs. So uh, it was a really good call to to bring him on because of what you say. I mean, Marlin just really hadn't clicked uh, against Montenegro. Just wasn't really in it that much and. Berghain just changed them uh, quite a lot, and yeah, he's. I mean, I loved them so much at PSV. I really was sad to see him go because he was just so much fun to watch. But um, and it's been so long since I've actually been able to really just be delighted to just watch him. And this was this was the game. I mean, it, it he was the the big. Uh, highlight of of that performance and and I, I mean as you said his goal was was excellent uh, I thought his assist actually kind of said a lot about him as well I mean most players would have just gone for it and taken the chance with, with the goalkeeper um, he didn't have much room for error and he managed to to make the right call and square it to Memphis did it perfectly well and uh, it was a Great assist to get, and it was yeah nice to see the two of them just sort of combine like that so comfortably. Um, so yeah, he was he was a delight, and it's nice to nice to see that he can just he can bring that out. And I hope he gets more chances uh, for Spurs, and uh, yeah. He's, if he does, then he will definitely be key for for the Netherlands for the next few years because he that is he's just he can be devastating when he's when he's on form and when he's fit. So hopefully this is a a sign that he's yeah. he's getting there.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm not sure if this is just me, but for some reason I always I'm really surprised to see how young he still is. Um, <laughs> he's only 24 and he only just turned 24 last month. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's cause he's been around for a while and he's obviously been in the national team since 2018 really
1: for
0: the yeah. World Cup quali- uh, for the qualifying for year 2020 but yeah I mean he's still so young he's got years ahead of him um and he could really make that made that right wing foot his own um I do like Berkhoutz as well but I mean it's, it's two good options there um
1: yeah but I think Berkhoutz is he's a quality player I like him a lot loved him at AZ and stuff and I, I still really am enjoying him but with the national team I just he just doesn't have the same pizzazz, or it's hard to really work out how to describe it. But I think Berfine is just as a better option when he's like this, and I think that was that was proof of it. He can just fit in so well, play well with Memphis um, and Danjuma as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, he mm-hmm. he really filled in for what they were what they were lacking with the lack of support from midfield and uh, against you know a kind of tight and frustrating defence. So yeah. uh, you can see just what the what difference he can make.
0: Yeah, I, I really like the look of that front three. Actually, um, I think I mean Memphis. Jason has saying we'll take a look at him in a in a bit. But I mean he's obviously fantastic yeah, Bergline was great and Dan drew has been awesome since he's come back in he's, just, he's so exciting to watch he, his end product wasn't wasn't great in this international break but he, every time he gets on the ball you kind of think that he's going to create
1: something um, yeah exactly and he's having a great season so far I mean he's just been magnificent at Villarreal really Um, so it's really nice to see him yeah like say so get going and get his chance in the national team I was really happy to see him called up and Yeah, you can see if he gets a few games, gets some time to settle in and and work with these players a bit more, then yeah, he can really become an important asset.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. And I mean, Memphis is just so good. I mean, you know, (laughs) he's ended the qualification campaign as the top scorer of every team. Uh, He got the most assists of any player throughout every team. He is now on to... Thirty-five or thirty-six national team goals, I think. Um, I think he pulled ahead of Van. Yeah, I think it's thirty-six.
1: Though. Oh no, it must be more. It's. Uh, oh no, yeah, yeah, right. It's thirty-five actually.
0: Yeah, yeah but, but yeah, so I mean, he's on track to, to catch into and Van Persie, maybe surpass them. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And I don't really buy this argument that you know, oh, well, it's easier these days. Because I mean, honestly, Van Persie and Hintela played, you know, teams like San Marino a lot as well, and they yeah. had better players that they were playing with, quite frankly, um, than Memphis has had since he's been in the team. Um, so, I think if he does get that, uh, if he does surpass them, then it's, you know, done on merit. Um, though he does, he obviously, you know, it would be nice for a few of them to be major tournament goals. Um, but, I mean, yeah, he's just so good. And I think he's kind of, he kind of holds the team together a bit, doesn't he? Because we've got really lack of kind of creativity in the midfield. So if we kind of had a normal out and out striker who didn't, who just scored goals, didn't, you know, create much for themselves, then I think it'd be a real issue, kind of how it was in the Hidden and bloom days. Um, but because we got Memphis, he kind of compensates a bit for it, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, um, I've been really impressed by the way he's sort of um, matured, I guess, over the course of his career. You could see he had that way about him when he was at PSV. He was obviously like really dangerous and, uh, and had a lot of, um, yeah, he, he, had the ability to become a bit of a complete player. I mean, he was playing as a winger, but you could see him as a striker, but he was just really inefficient and frustrating, uh, and also a bit too eager to get involved. Uh, he would come out of position just to go back and get the ball and want to be like the guy who wins it all the time. Um, now you can see he's a bit more, uh, considerate when he's on the ball and um, yeah he's he's less, I wouldn't say selfish was the way he was but he, he is a bit more, uh, a bit better at linking up with other players I think he is just so much more um, effective on the ball not as wasteful and um, yeah I've just been enjoying the fact that he's he's really blossomed into the, the kind of player that you could see from those PSV days and being just such a A massive uh, influence for the national team because he they're just different when he's there and uh, yeah love to see it because I've always been on the Memphis hype train so I'm maybe a wee bit biased but uh, it's yeah it's I'm really happy to see how he's how he's shaking things off throughout his career because he's dealt with a lot of criticism and a lot of uh, doubt and uh, people being very dismissive of him for reasons that I think are incredibly moronic. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's, he's shiny. So, um, yeah, it's, it's good to see. And, uh, yeah. he's, yeah. I, 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 I really do. I think he will go on and, and surpass one person. Um, he's done it. I mean, he's only got like 70 caps to his name.
0: He's
1: yeah. already scored 35 goals. I mean, Jesus, guys, guys awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: I think in terms of ratio, like, in terms of goals and appearances, I think he's pretty much kind of, Level with Van and they scored the oh. uh, same so around the same amount of goals and made the same amount of appearances. You know, which is obviously a, an amazing record. You're averaging like one goal every two games, but the difference is Van retired with that record, whereas Memphis's got I don't know five, five, six more years in him yeah. if he doesn't get any bad injuries. So yeah, it's it, it's really impressive, and I think he's probably is given to surpass Van Persie. I think. Yeah, he's it definitely been the highlight of, of our qualification campaign. Looking ahead, you know, obviously got a year ahead to the World Cup. Not really sure but obviously it's the World Cup in November, so I'm not really sure how many matches we're gonna play, who who we're gonna play against before then. I'm guessing it'll be, you know, kind of international breaks and I don't know, as usual, March, maybe March, August, um and then a few before the World Cup, but yeah, I mean, it's a weird situation, but I don't know. I feel pretty good about Van Hal being able to kind of figure out the issues in that time, I suppose. I mean, obviously, like you said, he's open to changing formation, which could be a good option. You'd like to think some more players are going to come into, into the picture, um, especially some midfielders. I mean, you know, Donny van der Beek, for example, if he starts playing again, then he could be right back in there. I mean, yeah, I don't know, it wasn't the best way to qualify in the end, but I don't know, I'm feeling pretty positive uh, now, looking ahead. Um, What about you?
1: Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, as much as um, those last two games kind of unsettled me a wee bit, uh, yeah, I have the same sort of uh, feeling as you. I'm a bit more confident, I think. They didn't really have many options to take over from De Boer, and Van Gaal is probably... The one who could, is, the, he's shown that he's the, the one to come in and sort of keep things similar, but also he's got the the knowledge and the relationship with the players to actually get something good out of them. And he's got a backup plan as well if he needs to, to change the formation. But yeah, if he can figure out that midfield conundrum, mm. then uh, yeah, I'll be pretty happy. And yeah, I'm pretty confident that he can maybe not just completely solve it, but, uh, at least get them looking better than they were in these two games, and yeah, yeah. that's why I'm not so not so down or worried about them after after those performances. Because yeah, it's a there's a talented squad um, with uh, with a good mix of yeah sort of well developed players, and uh, younger options coming through. Uh, so it's shaping up to be pretty pretty good team.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they deserve credit as well for for, for doing the job in the end. Um, I mean, I, I think football's changing a bit and it is getting a bit harder to qualify for World Cups because European teams are getting stronger, you know, the likes of Denmark, and, you know, Scandinavian teams in general. I mean, you know, Scotland, obviously, you know, I know you're biased, but they are generally looking a lot better these days than they used to. Um yeah. Wales, you know, I mean, I, I think the kind of second tier teams are getting stronger. And, yeah, you know, I mean, we had that issue and we did the job in the end. I mean, you know, Italy and Portugal obviously finished below Serbia and Switzerland in the end. So it's not easy, you know, qualifying for World Cups these days. Um, and we did it and that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> and it is really exciting to look ahead to, to being in a World Cup again. Uh, I know it's going the next year better in general, um, but I don't know, it is tarnished a bit. By the fact that it's a World Cup in Qatar, and I don't know, I feel like we should, you know, talk about it a bit because I think, uh, understandably, you know, fans and players and teams, as they qualify, kind of trying to turn a blind eye to the, yeah. to the problematic nature of a World Cup in Qatar. Um, but I don't, it, it does put a bit of a damper on things, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's definitely, well, yeah, something that needs to be spoken about. I think.
1: Yeah, for sure, and it's, it's really frustrating. I mean, yeah, I, when I was so like excited and relieved about the Norway game, I was like, yes, though, finally back in a World Cup, it's going to be beautiful, and then it's, oh, wait, the World Cup's in Qatar, and it's going to be a massive pain, and it's really an outrage that it's, that it's being held there at all. And yeah, I've been really frustrated with teams. I mean, my take on it f- for the whole time has just been, I would like to see teams boycott this. I would... Um, it's kind of frustrating. It, on one hand, it's nice to see players come out with like t-shirts making a statement about about it and stuff before games. But I mean, if you really want to say something about it, then you you just refuse to go. And it, it, I mean, players themselves are, are in such a difficult, delicate situation. I, I, I can't. I don't really blame them. But I mean, we've had so much. Um, Insistence on like you know like Black Lives Matter stuff over the last year and football has been really uh, and standing by that message and stuff. And I'm like, well, here's it's fine you know protesting against uh, police violence against black people in America, even though we're doing it in Europe. I it's and standing up against racism in stadiums and stuff is incredible, uh, and especially and also on social media and stuff. But here's a chance to to really. You know, make a statement against this brutality. I mean, it's not just the you know, the big fear of like um, homophobia and and Qatar and stuff, and yeah, the the, the laws and stuff. But you also have the fact that people have been dying. People have been working basically as slaves to build these stadiums that they're going to be playing in. It's a World Cup that's just stained with so much blood. And it's just genuinely disgusts me, and I, I'm in such a, a ho- awkward situation. I mean, it's my job to to follow this and, and write about football and stuff, and so the World Cup is obviously the biggest stage. But I actually don't want to watch it. I I'm so torn uh, about this, and it really makes me sick. And that uh, managers and players have been asked about, you know, should they skip it, should they boycott it, and stuff. It's late. It's too late now. I think the qualifying campaign is done. Everybody sort of just, yeah, as you say, kind of turned a blind eye to it and being like, okay, we'll go. We're not going to enjoy it. Um, yeah, I would like to see associations just sort of say, you know what, this this isn't uh, this isn't for us. And from then on, you know, actually actually use football um, to be a, a a good cause for for. Uh, for humanity, basically, instead of yeah, just these sort of ineffective protests. I mean, I like all four players making uh, taking a D and, and stuff, but at some point it just feels a wee bit yeah phony when we're faced yeah. with this this imminent atrocity that we're all going to take part in. We're all going to be there. We're all going to justify it. As I say, I don't really blame players or managers or anything. They're just kind of stuck in the middle, but... It's just, it's, it's, it sucks so much. It annoys me every time I have to think about it. And I was so disappointed this week because I was like, oh, Netherlands are through. Scotland can make it two yeah. tournaments in, uh, in a row for the first time. And I was like, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, but I kind of wish it wasn't happening now. I wish they did suck now. Uh, and <laughs> they weren't going to be wasting like a good uh, generation of players uh, so that they could actually either not qualify or just boycott this. Um, And, yeah, it's just, it's going to be painful, man.
0: It makes it so much harder to enjoy because, you know, you look at, I mean, the World Cup basically serves as a reminder, this one, that, you know, you look at, in the last year, a lot of good stuff has happened in football in terms of, you know, like you said, um, Black Lives Matter and, you know, know, racial injustice and kind of standing up for equality. Um, We had the first gay footballer come out and, Generally, the the reaction seemed really positive. I mean, obviously, there's homophobic bigots everywhere, but you know, um, it, it it kind of felt nice. And then, but then I don't know, you see all these clubs and associations like you know retweeting him and like you know, yeah, you know, sending messages of support. And then you look at this World Cup, and it kind of reminds you that they're really just doing that for social media likes, you know? Yeah. They're not. Yeah. They're not practicing what they preach at all because. They're happily going to to a World Cup where I mean, you're in a country where you know there's endless social issues. Um, even if there's people that don't give a shit about that, I mean, it's also the fact that thousands of people have literally died building these stadiums, and that is not something that can be debated as to whether you know. I think you can't refer to that as political. You know, that's human lives being lost. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it does suck. Um, And it's a difficult situation for every football fan, you know, Um, in terms of you obviously want to see your team at a World Cup, but you don't want to support the thing, uh, the the World Cup being there. But I don't know, maybe it's hypocritical to watch it, but I think if you are going to watch it, it's obviously understandable, I'm going to watch it. Um, But I I think it's important to kind of not watch it and feel that you, because you're watching it, you therefore can't criticise it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if you're gonna watch it, you still kind of, you know, you know, uh, voice voice the concerns and share the the issues with it. I
1: think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's the time to do it. I mean, it, it shouldn't be. We should never not have that thought. We should never not be aware of of these problems. And yeah, if you're gonna watch it, do it illegally, man. Steal this World <laughs> Cup. Don't don't give them the viewers to justify these massive disgusting sponsorships. Um, no, yeah, as. It's, people are just going to be oh yeah, let's just uh, enjoy the football Don't talk about these things, but no, fuck that it's, uh, we should always be aware of this, people have died for this World Cup, people are, I can't not watch it, to be honest, actually uh, it's my job, but it's just it's, got, it's just going to suck so much yeah, yeah it
0: really does put a downer on things um, but, we don't want to end the episode on a downer so let's just uh, <laughs> But, being happy about Holland being back in the World Cup again. I mean, you know, I think about previous World Cups, 2010, 2014, specifically for me, um, you know, great memories they created for me, the memories that stuck with me when I regularly, you know, rewatch some matches like 2-1 against Brazil in 2010 or 5-1 against (laughs) Spain in 2014. You know, it really does. Okay. It's such a positive impact, you know, um, I know you've got like memories of 1998 for Holland as yep. well. Um yep. I don't know. It's just nice to. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, nice to
1: be excited and uh, and actually yeah enjoy them again. I I, mean, I, I had a great time in these uh, international games despite the tension from mm-hmm. uh, the the Netherlands. But uh, I mean Scotland looks so good against Denmark. It's going to be yeah, it's going to be cool to see Netherlands make it all the way to the final and Scotland win the final. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, maybe the civil war on the podcast. Is that happening? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um well, I mean looking ahead, to be honest, I've got no clue <laughs> when the next when the next matches will be and therefore when the next episode will be, because I don't think anyone knows yet. Um yep. I think there will probably be friendlies at the start of next year around February, March maybe. So um I don't know. I mean, we'll definitely be back for the World Cup draw, the group stage draw, which is in early April, I think. Um, to discuss that, and I don't. Know, I think before then, I'll probably do a, a, a New Year's thing, kind of looking back at the lovely, the lovely year that we've had for Dutch football, <laughs> the, the um But yeah, uh, until then, obviously, as always, Peter, thanks for coming on today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure as always.
0: And, uh, yeah, thanks to everyone for listening as well. Um, You know the gist by now. If you enjoyed it, then please do give a review wherever you listen to a podcast. um, Share it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever you use. And, um, yeah, well, thanks again, and we'll see you soon. All right.